Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. You're listening to Linux in the Ham Shack. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source and amateur radio for everyone. Now here are your hosts, Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello everybody. You have tuned in to the most terrific amateur radio podcast on the internet. And tonight we are recording episode number 257 of Linux in the Ham Shack. I'm your host, Russ. That silence is Cheryl, who is not here tonight. And uh, we also have the other guy. Uh, Bill, NE4RD, good evening. All right, so we're like ahead of schedule and everything tonight. It's it's all probably going to go straight <laughs> to hell here in about 30 seconds gonna fall apart i already forgot to hit the record button so but well, i noticed you already did <laughs> i did yes i'm recording i i am so on top of things tonight it's, it can only go downhill from here so yeah it must be because you're barricaded by snow yeah the, the two inches that we got today is keeping me <laughs> bottled up in the house for sure i i bought all the milk bread and eggs i could find and um i'm pretty sure i'm not getting out for at least a week <laughs> And That's all great. of that is complete bullshit. So let's uh, <laughs> let's start with our lead topic. And since you threw this in here, uh, I'll let you go ahead and cover our lead topic for tonight. Absolutely. Yeah, I, uh, I, I kind of changed my mind halfway through it. I, I put this one on top because it's, it's fairly new. It's the Canadian National Parks on the Air. Uh, welcome to the Canadian version of working parks and his, uh, historic sites managed by Parks Canada. This is the brainchild of a small, dedicated group of hams in Halifax, Nova Scotia area. We are all volunteers and we have zero dollars budget to make this happen. And uh, see, we needed uh, and received moral support from the Radio Amateurs of Canada. That's the RAC and Parks Canada to welcome hams to come and operate at historic sites and parks as listed elsewhere on this site. And I'm uh, basically reading the uh, the site there for uh, the Canadian National Parks on the Air, cnpoda.ca, uh, I believe. And uh, that's what you want to check out. So uh, next year, they're going to be starting uh, their National Parks on the Air uh, tour around Canada. And they invite all amateurs, whether you're from the U.S. or Canada, to come to Canada and check out all their national uh, national parks and historic sites and put them on the air. So, uh, yeah, this is great that they're uh, they're they're starting the same similar program up. We know that we've had the uh, the the parks on the air uh, continue after the national parks on the air uh event that we had uh was that two years ago now and uh yeah this is uh this will this will be good and and fun for uh our neighbors to the north to join in it does sound good i'm wondering if there are any national parks in none of it will will we be able to hear a, a park from there <laughs> well uh, does anybody hear them when they're on the sweeps <laughs> <laughs> i don't know yeah that's that's a tough province to pick up i think when you're when you're working canada yeah yeah that's one of the harder ones all right. So anyway, very cool that the parks on the air are for Canada. And I'm sure there, there are probably going to be some national parks in other countries that follow suit on this if they haven't already. I don't know how it works in other countries as far as designating national parks. Um, 
I would assume that Africa probably has a bunch of national parks. I mean, they have a lot of parks. They're all, uh, you know, safari or what do you call them? Uh, like preserves, game preserves and things like that. Uh, I don't know. I need, yeah. need more Africa stations and Canadian stations too. Sorry. I didn't want to, uh, <laughs> just jump right over to Africa and forget about Canada since that's what we're talking about. Ah, uh, yeah. <clears throat> all right. Talking to boot. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Cool. Canadian parks on the air. And one of these days when I get back on the air, uh, I'll try and contact some of these. Was there a time frame on this or is it just an all the time thing? I believe it will be all next year. All next year. So we can gear up. You got the rest of 2018 to get ready. Yeah. Make your, make your travel plans now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I'm just going to contact the people who are already there. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> Probably. Possibly. Yeah. <laughs> All right, moving on. We've got some other amateur radio news to talk about tonight, and that is December is Youngsters on the Air Month. We're talking a lot about Yota, but this is a, a little bit different because most of the Yota stuff that we've talked about in the past deals with uh, IARU Region 2, where this is very popular. However, you can now listen for stations on the air with Yota as the call sign suffix in IAR. You, Region 1. Uh, the idea for this is to show the amateur radio hobby to young people and to encourage youngsters to be active on the amateur bands, uh, said Tommy Varro, Hotel Alpha 9 Tango. Uh, Yoda is primarily in IARU Region 2, as we discussed, uh, but youngsters from the Americas have attended Yoda summer camps, which are held in different countries each year, and Yoda stations are most often operated by indiv- individuals 25 years old or younger. Uh, so for more updates, you can visit the Yota Facebook page. The link will be in the show notes. Uh, this particular story came from the AWRL. Uh, so Yota is expanding. So we're getting lots more youth on the air. And we, we talked a little bit. Well, actually, we talk almost every episode about getting younger people into amateur radio. So uh, this can only be good. And you get a whole month. <laughs> That's true. A whole month. That's uh, pretty ne- good. Yeah, our next story is a balloon success for Amateur Radio Experimenters Group. Uh, to celebrate its 20th anniversary, Australia's Amateur Radio Experimenters Group released its 50th high-altitude balloon carrying transmitters for APRS and slow-scan TV and a crossband FM repeater. The response from the amateur radio community was unprecedented, with record numbers of people tracking the telemetry, watching the slow-scan t- TV pictures, or talking through the flying crossband voice repeater. The flight itself lasted two hours and 45 minutes, with the balloon reaching a 35.8-kilometer altitude, or 117,000 feet. It traveled downrange 82 kilometers from the launch site and landed in a wheat field near Wainarka. (laughs) This launch was uh, pursued by four tracking teams, which were within a kilometer of the landing zone as the balloon touched down, managing to watch it land. That's not very common on these <laughs> these balloons, but uh, it sounds like they had quite a bit of payload on there that they want to recover. Australia, so yeah. they probably were able to watch it the whole way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. And that story uh, came to us from uh, the Southgate ARC. Yes, the Southgate ARC. What a great clearinghouse for ham radio news. What would we do without them? Yeah, they're great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mutual admiration society for. Southgate Airs. <laughs> okay. Uh, we also have a bit of sad news, I guess, if you like portable keyers. Uh, Palm Radio is going out of business. Key and paddle maker Palm Radio is going out of business. Dieter, Dieter Engels, uh, 
Delta Juliet 6 Tango Echo announced on the company's website. For health reasons and after the passing of Brunhilde, DK7SN, Uli, DL2BAT, and Klaus, DL9SKE, these, are these like paddles killing people? or I mean, uh, Well, they're kind of small. Maybe they're choking on the small pieces. <laughs> I'm not trying to make light of anyone's death, but this we're talking about three deaths within the same organization? <laughs> I don't know. Uh I'm not, I'm not, he continues, Dieter, uh, able to continue Palm Radio in its current form. I will only deliver remaining stock. And he invited inquiries via email. Marshall M., November 1, Foxtrot November of Morse Express, a carrier of Palm Radio products, said that Engels has been unwell for some time, quote unquote, but added that Morse Express would continue to service them, i.e. the keys, for as long as it can. Palm Radio products have been popular among portable operators. That story, of course, came from the ARRL as well. Yeah, those are great little keys, too. They have like a little magnetic, uh, it's like a magnetic uh, uh, pickup type uh, style. And they're really small. They slide in a, a little case. It's portable for uh, perfect for portable operations. Uh, a great key and, uh, and really tiny. <laughs> a little magnetic feed that you could uh, stick on your radio and stuff like that. Uh, you saw a lot of people augment their, uh, you know, KX2s and KX3s with them. And, uh, of course, all the other portable radios. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of sad. It's a, it's a really good product. Uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully they'll be able to have somebody, uh, you know, maybe buy the rights to it or whatever and continue on the, the palm, palm paddle because, uh, it's a, just a great little key. Or better yet, open the hardware spec and let someone else build it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if they're not going to continue as a as a company, I mean, why not just put it out there and let people have it? That's a possibility. Well, it's a possibility, maybe not a probability. I guess we'll see what happens. But anyway, <laughs> uh, you want to talk about something else too, so I'll let you talk about it. Yeah, the uh, Open Spot Two is out in the open. I just uh, saw this the other day. There's the Open Spot Two is a standalone digital radio internet gateway or hotspot. Uh, designed mainly for amateur radio, you can talk with others on digital radio networks using OpenSpot 2, Wi-Fi, Internet access, or and your radio. Uh, compatible digital radio protocols and networks are DMR, D-Star, System Fusion, C4M, NXDN, P25, and P-O-C-S-A-G, <laughs> whatever, POCSAG, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> never heard of that one. Uh, supports cross-modem uh, modes, uh, example, talk uh, with your C4M, C4FM radio on DMR or with your DMR radio on Fusion Networks as well. It retails for about 225 and uh, that comes right from their website. And uh, you can also you know, develop your own uh, radio work and stuff like that with their uh, open source software. So uh, it's uh, it's been around for quite a while, I guess. The open spot has been out there. And, uh, there were, there were rumors of the new product and, <laughs> and all of a sudden, uh, you know, there was no more selling the old one. And, uh, this one came out, uh, just here at the end of uh, October. And, uh, I, I kind of wanted to put it in there, not, not cause I was terribly interested in the product. Uh, I'm just terribly interested in why we just don't have a, just a pure software driven solution for this, a la, you know, Echo Link, <laughs> uh, to run all these other modes since they're basically all internet modes anyway. Well, probably because some of them are proprietary and they don't want to release the source code and all that. So, <clears throat> well, only the uh, only the Ambi chip would be the proprietary bit of it. All the other ones are pretty much open open standards. Uh, System Fusion uses an open standard, but the stuff that goes on top of it isn't right. I don't think that's the case much anymore. They're all using the same chip, okay. basically. They all use the Ambi chip. All right. So, yeah, I don't see why they can't do it in software only and you know bypass. Because I mean, why? 
I mean, that's all you're doing with this is you're putting a little hotspot and you got your little handy talkie and you can talk through the internet. Why don't you just right. get rid of the hotspot and get rid of the radio and just talk through the internet with something else? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't have a problem with because, talking through the internet. Then you're re- <laughs> right. But you're eliminating the radio part of amateur radio at that point. That's amateur internet. <laughs> I know, but it's, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's kind of like that with Echo Link and a drop like D star and all that stuff anyway. 500 so. bucks to get on the air with these things. <laughs> just seems, yeah, seems I know. obnoxious. Just, just because of the technology. I, yeah. I mean, I just think about how fast they could grow the network even more if they had just software solutions for it that way you know you can get people just on the air and and talking on these networks and uh i see advantages you know especially for scouting and stuff like that in areas where you know maybe they can get a you know an lte signal but they're they're not getting a uh, a repeater that actually has any one of these uh systems on it but i guess you could buy the hotspot i suppose well you know it's only a short jump from where we are now to the fact that a computer is going to be your ham radio anyway it's just going to be a transceiver built into or daughter boarded onto a computer. We're basically there anyway with, with SDR and flex radio and all those platforms. So pretty soon there won't be a radio per se. It'll just be a computer with an add on. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then the software will take care of all the different modes and the different translations and the different, you know, codecs and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I mean, it, it's coming, I'm sure. All right. So moving on from amateur radio topics, let's talk a little open source. And the first thing we have is Apple's new T2 chip preventing Linux booting. Uh, this actually came up in the chat room a minute ago, so here we go. Uh, we're not going to dive into the T2 chip. We might do that sometime later on, but that may be too esoteric or too in-depth or too irrelevant. I'm not sure which. <laughs> uh, MacBook Pro laptops have become increasingly unfriendly with Linux in recent years, while Mac minis have generally continued working with most Linux distros. But now with the latest Mac Mini systems employing Apple's T2 security chip, they are likely to crush any Linux dreams. Apple's new chip being embedded into their latest products provides a secure enclave, APFS storage encryption, UEFI security, uh, secure boot validation, touch ID handling, a hardware microphone disconnect on lid close, and other security tasks. Uh, the T2 restricts the boot process quite a bit and verifies each step of the process using crypto keys a lot, uh, signed by Apple. Apple's T2 documentation makes it clear and explicitly mentions Linux. Quote, note, there is currently no trust provided for the Microsoft Corporation UEFI CA 2011, which would allow verification of code signed by Microsoft partners. This UEFI CA is commonly used to verify the authenticity authenticity of bootloaders for other operating systems such as linux variants in other words until apple decides to add this certificate or the t2 chip otherwise is cracked so it could be fully disabled or allowed to load arbitrary keys good luck even being able to boot linux distros on the new apple hardware i think you can boot it you just can't uh you can't see the the hard drive underneath of it at that point there was, I read in this article or a previous article on Pharonix, which is where this story came from, a workaround at one point to allow booting of Linux on the T2 chip, which apparently has been later disabled. Mm, interesting. <clears throat> so there you go. Take, take that for what you will. You shouldn't be, I mean, probably shouldn't be buying Apple hardware to run your Linux on anyway. <laughs> but, you know, if you have a Mac mini lying around or something, as like Bill does. Oh, yeah. Um, but you have an older one without the T2 chip, so it's easier for you. Yeah, and I'm running Fedora on mine, so it, it runs fine. <laughs> yep, there I'm you using go. it right now. <laughs> so, so just go on eBay and buy an older one and screw the T2 chip. Yep, yep, yeah. Plenty powerful enough. 
All right. All right. So anyway, moving on. Yeah. Analyzing emoticons or emotions. Sorry. <laughs> For some reason, I saw emoticons. <laughs> analyzing emotions with open source. Uh, machines are getting closer and to better recognizing human emotions. Thanks to open source software developed by a team of Euro- European researchers. Called the Mixed Emotions Toolkit, the software can learn to recognize emotions through text, audio, and video processing. Mixed Emotions is made up of several modules that analyze text and multimedia and relationships in social networks and does a machine translation between several European languages. The researchers also developed a Python package called SendPy for developing and publishing emotion analysis services and tools mainly focused on text processing. The source code for the toolkit is available on GitHub, our favorite clearinghouse of all software. (laughs) (laughs) And the source uh, of this article came from uh, opensource.com. Yes, right from the open source horse's mouth, so to speak. And I found this by (gasps) going to GitHub. Oh, my gosh. So, uh, yeah, I know. I was browsing around in GitHub. I I had nothing better to do or or something. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, but there's lots of additional information on here, links to the GitHub repositories, links to phys, P-H-Y-S dot org, uh, that discusses some of the actual, uh, le- learning, the AI behind this, uh, some of the white papers and things. So there's lots of information about this if you're interested in analyzing emotions with open source. So there you go. Very emotional. It, it's very emotional. Yes. I'm tearing up right now. <laughs> All right, so uh, I found this interesting article, and I didn't—I had never actually heard of Google Fuchsia until like two days ago. Um, I guess that just shows how behind I am. Uh, but this was an article titled, What the NSA Knows About Google Fuchsia. A while back, Google revealed Fuchsia is not Linux. Uh, there have also been endless rumors with little hard proof it will eventually replace Android. The NSA, of all groups, has been checking into Fuchsia and revealed its findings at the recent North American Linux Security Summit in Vancouver, British Columbia. Fuchsia is a modular OS with Zircon as its underlying microkernel. Zircon started as a fork from the little kernel, the Android bootloader. It's been heavily modified to become a microkernel operating system. The modular approach applies it can be used on low-powered, minimal resource devices all the way up to PCs. Fuchsia also supports a subset of portable operating system interface conventions, i.e. POSIX, meaning it will look like Linux and Unix. Fuchsia currently has many security issues, which are big enough that as of this summer, it was far from being ready for production. Traces of Fuchsia have also been found in the Google Home Hub, the new IoT device, and based on what the NSA has found, it's probably best to stay away. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, we heard rumors of Fuchsia for a while, and and uh, yeah, I mean, hearing more about it like this, it, it almost smells like a you know, a GNU herd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of. Which yeah, you know, well, everybody's running herd now, right? I mean, <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> there may be six people running herd. <laughs> one, <laughs> yeah, and one of one of them is Richard Stallman. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So anyway, that's all we have. In open, well, we've got more open source, but we're going to kind of combine open source with Linux here a little bit. Uh, and I'll do the first one, and then I'm not sure how we're going to approach the second two because they're kind of a little off top. They're not off topic. They're, I don't know. We'll get there. <laughs> all right. All right. The first one in our Linux in the Hamshack segment is EXT modem. And this is kind of an alternative or a competitor to Direwolf. 
Um, it's a modem for AFSK AX.25 packet, 1200 baud, uh, APRS compatible. Uh, it is capable of both sending and receiving packets. And this is their like hype copy. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt. Uh, the main feature of the program is that it is currently running three different demodulators in parallel, increasing the quality of reception. Uh, the first modem is Thomas Saylor's Multimon. The second is described by Sivan Toledo in a QEX article, uh, link in the show notes. And the third is an experimental FSK delay line modulator. That probably means something to somebody. It doesn't mean a damn thing to me. Uh, <laughs> therefore, the number of demodulated packets is very good, so they say. Uh, EXT modem has Linux and Windows versions available, and the source code can be found on, you know it, GitHub. So, uh, <laughs> software modem AX25 compatible. Uh, I have not tried to use it in the way that I use Direwolf for APRS and stuff like that, but uh, it does have a Windows version and runs on Linux and can do the same thing. It's a software modem. So, if you want to check out that product, if you have some use for uh 1200 baud packet without a TNC, to try all right so i don't know how to handle these last two <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm sitting here looking at this i know i've seen sd before but let's go ahead and just talk about it uh sd contest logger is our other uh, option here uh, sd sets the standard for fast uh, simple logging and editing in the major international contests and and in dozens of others worldwide it is intended for a single op unassisted entries on both single sideband and cw SD runs on all versions of Windows from XP to Windows 10 and on Linux and Raspberry Pi with a character based display. SD is not free. When you register 10 euros, you get a key file registered to your call sign. The key file activates the current version of SD and all future versions released within six months. Unregistered versions are run in demo mode with a delay of 30 seconds in logging QSOs after the first 30 QSOs in each contest log. And this is over on uh, the EI5DI website, which I'm assuming is the author. He is the author. And the thing about this is, and the reason I included it here is because it led me to the next story. But uh, this has a curses-based interface. It looks a lot like YFK log and YFK test. And YFK test and YFK log actually may have been derived uh, from SD. Uh, and those later two are actually open source versions. Uh, the thing that's different about SD is it's actually Windows only. The only reason it runs on Linux and Raspberry Pi is because you can run it in Wine. Or in the case of Raspberry Pi, you can use Exegear, which we're going to, I guess, touch on in the next little bit here. Um, I did look at the number of contests that it supports, and it's much, much more than YFK test or any of the other uh, contest loggers that I've seen. The uh, the metadata for the contests is is much more comprehensive. It's not super expensive, but of course it does violate some of our uh, principles in that it's not open source and it's technically not Linux, uh, but you can use it that way if you want. Uh, it's it not free. It's not free. <laughs> it, it does have a, a similar user interface to some other loggers. So if you wanted to use it and you wanted to spend a little money and maybe support EI5DI in his, you know, logging quest, then, then go for that. But yeah, uh, it kind of reminds me of the old DOS program CT, which is, uh, probably predates all of these. Yes, I'm sure. So anyway, there it is. SD contest logger and the interest of bringing all the information to you, whether it fits exactly or not. There you go. <laughs> Um, 
Well, tell us about Exegear. Okay, so I don't actually know that much about Exegear, but it was linked to from the SD Contest Logger as a way to run SD on a Raspberry Pi. And what it says about this is it's it's a product created by LTEX, and it says, with Exegear Desktop, you can run any desktop applications that are not compatible with Raspberry Pi, Odroid, and other ARM-based devices. Exegear is a very fast emulator, powerful virtual machine that allows you to run almost any kind of software on almost any kind of hardware. Exegear is user-friendly with transparent operations, so you'll feel as if you were operating your PC, Windows, desktop in a normal, intuitive way. Exegear will let you enjoy your favorite applications and overcome any kind of incompatibility, which I doubt. Um, (laughs) But uh, it will allow you to, for example, run Windows programs on a Raspberry Pi. It says you can do other things with it, uh, basically trying you know, to make anything cross-platform. Whether it does that or not, I don't know. Uh, the Raspberry Pi version 3 version of Exegear is only like $16, so it's not like super expensive. But of course, it is closed source, and it's basically just a, a shim to uh, shoehorn one type of application into another type of operating system. So, I don't know. Take that for what it's worth, I guess. And it looks like it also works on the Chromebooks as well. And there's a an app in the Google Play Store, which it's uh, twenty nine ninety nine there. But I see some mixed uh, mixed opinions in the reviews. Like uh, the app works, but there's absolutely no SD card support at all. Uh, you know the typical whiners that are in here. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> After update, Diablo two is not working. Oh darn! <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <clears throat> Yeah, yeah. Well, that's an interesting product. I definitely haven't uh, definitely haven't run into that one before, and it does open up the possibility to do some other things on your on your Raspbian or uh, uh, your your Pi uh, or your Odroid or any of the other ARM devices. So, and it looks like it also runs on i i eighty six i you know i three eighty six because it runs on uh, <coughs> all the uh, Chromebook hardware as well. Absolutely. So it may be useful for somebody. Um, I'm not going to pay the $16 or whatever it is to find out. But, I mean, it's not super expensive, so if you want to try it out, give it a shot there. The LTEX website where Exegear comes from is linked to in the show notes, uh, so it'll be easy enough to find. But they they support two languages there. It shows uh, English and Russian, so I don't know. Are you going to buy a piece of Russian software to... uh... (laughs) You were running a Chinese distribution Hey now, hey! <laughs> Only for a little bit. <laughs> That's true. And deep, deep is cool. <laughs> deep <laughs> is pretty a, cool. Yeah, they had a lot of polish on that OS. I have to give them that. Yeah, that's uh, how they sucked but, you uh, in. They, they gave you all the eye candy, and then they stole all your information. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <clears throat> so, so like all Bill's porn is running around China right now, but <laughs> <laughs> oh darn. <laughs> All right. Anyway, with that, we're down to the end of our stories. And unfortunately, because Cheryl's not here to do the social media roundup, I guess one of us will have to do it. So I guess I will do it. So with that being said, let's talk about our Patreons. Our Patreons, our active Patreons anyway, are Andy Webster, Cubicle Nate. One of these days, I'm going to actually get Nate's like whole name if he wants to give it out so we can put it in here. But otherwise, he's just known as Cubicle Nate. Uh, Darren King, Donald Gover, John Spriggs, Jonas Rulo, Paul Griffith, Robert Pitts, Samuel Vimes, Steve Metcalf, Steve Sainer, and William Heckelman. And for subscriptions, we have Kevin Ivey, Bill Collins, Tony Coberly, 
James Lewis, Jeff Zimmerman, Steve Hepler, Michael Jopling, Steve Nichols, Todd Bowers, Thor Wiegman, Charlie Brown, Wayne Carpenter, Bill Piotr, Darren King, Dylan Angle, Alan Wilson, John Clark, Robert Halliday, Brian Smith, John Kinsey, Malikey, Robert Yerke, Michael Connolly, and Jeremy Hall. <sighs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> on Facebook, we had nobody like us on Facebook this week. Oh, bummer. Aww. We also had nobody <laughs> subscribe to us on Google+, Plus, but that's actually not terribly surprising. Uh, we had a couple people follow us on Twitter. We had at Bubba underscore Nomad and at B Slade. And for YouTube, we had nobody for mailing list. Uh, we actually did have somebody, but I didn't write it down here. So we'll get to that next time. And we didn't have any merchandise sales. So with that, we should jump back to the chat room and see if there's anything interesting in there before we move on. I did see some chatter about some of the things we talked about earlier. Uh, there's Defrobot from KC0NUK uh, offering Windows 10 versions of the Panda Latte Alpha which is a single-board computer that had a uh, Kickstarter. I kind of gathered that it's already out and being produced, the uh, Panda Latte Alpha, or whatever the hell I call it. <laughs> latte Panda. The Latte Panda yeah. Alpha, that's it. <clears throat> the Panda yeah, Latte Alpha like, is something you get from Starbucks. Uh, yeah, it looks like they're all under pre-order uh, at DF Robot. I'm just kind of clicking through their website here real quick. Uh, basically it's a, it's basically an arm, isn't it? Um, more than likely because all those single board computers are arm based. I'm pretty sure. Cubicle Nate also earlier talking about the topic we had earlier about, uh, radios and, uh, cross platform. Uh, oh no, it's an Intel, Intel seventh generation core M3 processor. Oh, the core mm. M3. Is that their standard, uh, instruction set? I assume it is. Oh, it's the same as the uh, latest MacBook. So okay, yeah. So it's a standard instruction set, standard Intel instruction yeah. set. Okay, which is actually the uh, AMD instruction set. But don't tell anybody. Cubicle um, <laughs> Nate said that he doesn't think that radios will ever go away. No more than eight bit computers will ever go away. No, they may never go away, but at some point they'll probably only be in museums. So let's see. Jeremy says Raspberry Pi, Arduino, and BeagleBone all in one. Is that we're talking about the Latte Panda? I think or still maybe a version of it. Cubicle uh, Nate says no more than tubes will disappear. No, again, they won't completely disappear. They'll be either in museums or fossilized. Oh yeah, it does have a, a bunch of uh, I/O. So <clears throat> Arduino compatible and everything else. Got an Arduino board built in. So the question earlier was, would it be worth a $300 price tag? Uh, there are some cheaper ones, depending on the spec, but it sounds like they might be. Standard Intel instruction set is nice. You don't have to worry about ARM-based uh, operating systems, for one thing. Plus, having the ability to you know, have the Arduino hooks and all that stuff is nice. And it's got USB 3, USB Type-C, an audio jack, gigabit Ethernet, HDMI, <clears throat> bunch of... GPIO, bunch of GPIO. More than what is what is the Raspberry Pi thirty two pin something like that. Yeah, it's about the same. Yeah, it's got the two slots. Uh, you know, the two uh, looks like you could possibly throw on. Uh, you know, <clears throat> possibly like a shield or something like that at some point. Although you'd probably block the fan for the uh, for the processor, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh well. Yeah, we're just we're trying to pack a whole lot of crap onto one little board. So. Um, <clears throat> 
<clears throat> anyway, yeah, it might be worth it. So check that out. The uh, Latte Panda Alpha. It's on Kickstarter. And NDF Robot. NDF Robot. And I'll make sure we get a link to, to something where you can actually check that out. Or you can just search for it, of course. Google is your friend. Uh, unless you are got the Google Home Hub. Then you should just put, you know, pitch that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Anyway, that takes us down to the end of episode number 257. We want to recognize the folks who were chatting with us here in the chat room. We had Jeremy, KC0 in UK. We had Cubicle Nate. We had Ted, WA0EIR. Though he was rather quiet tonight, which is fine. You can be quiet as long as you're here. And <laughs> I don't know that there was anybody else at least active in the chat room. But I've uh, not seen anyone yet. Yeah. So thanks, everybody, for coming by and talking with us and listening to us live. Uh, we appreciate that. And uh, we'll catch you in a few days for episode number 258, which will be our Weekender edition. And we'll get down into some of the stuff coming up over the next couple of weeks and uh, talk about some things that is hopefully entertaining for everyone. So with that and, uh, you know, for the absent Cheryl W5MOO, I'll call it for this one. I'm Russ K5TUX. And I'm Bill NE4RD 73. Thank you for listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the program by visiting the LHS Patreon page of patreon.com stroke lhspodcast or using the contribute link on the website. Get in touch via social media. The show has a presence on Google+, Facebook, Twitter, Discord and YouTube. Or you can drop an email to info at lhspodcast.info or record a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the IRC channel, LHS Podcast, on the Freenode IRC network. Also visit the online merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable LHS merchandise. Become an ambassador and represent LHS at a Linux convention or ham fest. Email ambassadors at lhspodcast.info or visit the website for details. The podcast is recorded live every Monday night at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. Connect to the stream at stream.blacksparrowmedia.net colon 8008 stroke LHS live. Until next time, over and out.
Linux in the Ham Shack in the Linux in the Ham Shack logo are released under a Creative Commons Attribute Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License.